Now on Sky News Live, Peter Cradley. Good evening and welcome to the show. Look, tonight I want to take you through a big issue that I see is nothing more than blatant vote buying in just a moment. We'll also be joined by Outsiders host Rowan Dean for his take on the federal election's latest, as well as our regular spot exposing some of GetUp's worst tactics and our talkback panel with some of the best, including 2GB's Chris Smith, up shortly. Here's what's making political news tonight. Bill Shorten's under pressure over Adani as he campaigns in Queensland, while Scott Morrison faces questions over Clive Palmer preferences. Barnaby Joyce says criticism over his role in a controversial water buyback scheme is another Mediscare campaign. And a senior magistrate is calling for all Bibles to be removed from courtrooms in Victoria. But first, in every election campaign, there's always a couple of issues that tell you more about how the various political parties are travelling than anything else. Now, to the uninitiated, you mightn't pick them. You might just take them at face value as a promise about this or a policy about that, but not to me. You see, I don't come out of the Canberra Gallery. I come out of the back room of politics. And when you know where to look, these issues can betray more information about the inside of a campaign than the best-placed leak or insider gossip. And we saw one of the best examples emerge today. After Michael Daly's disastrous New South Wales state campaign, and in particular, the now former Labor leader's racist comments about Asian Australians, well, Labor knows it has a problem and it must make up ground in key electorates where foreign-born migrant populations have a high voter concentration. Seats like Reid, Banks and Benelong here in Sydney and Deakin and Chisholm in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. Alongside this mop-up job, there's plenty of skittishness amongst Labor campaigners that Bill Shorten is not doing as well as hoped, hit by unforced errors and a stronger-than-expected performance by the Coalition. This time round, Scott Morrison is proving a much more formidable opponent than his predecessor, and Shorten's unpopularity is biting, especially amongst women. So here's their answer, as written up today. A new type of visa that will enable migrants to bring their elderly parents out to live with them in Australia. Migrant box tick. And who worries most about ageing parents? You got it. It's often the women. Tick that box too. Now, if you're a migrant family, it's quite natural to want to bring your parents over to join you. In Australia, it means the kids stay in touch with their grandparents. It means you feel less alone in a new country. Quite possibly, it also means a lot of practical help with childcare or even running a business. And there's no doubt it's attractive from the migrant's perspective too. But how attractive is it to Australian taxpayers, given that these older arrivals have never paid tax here, are unlikely to ever pay tax here, and will almost certainly be taking advantage of our health and social security systems? I know some of you might say, Peter, that's a bit hard-headed, but when you've been working on federal budgets as long as I have, you know it's more hard-headed people we need, not less. After all, it was only last week that Labor itself was complaining about how much under pressure Australia's health system is. Now, at present, 
the number of permanent visas available for parents, well, they're very limited and have extremely long waiting times, sometimes stretching into the decades. And there are contributory parent visas that come with a high price tag to cover the costs of settling older and often sicker people in Australia. So to make it all a little easier, the Coalition not long ago announced a new temporary sponsored parent visa. As the name suggests, it is not permanent. People can apply for a three or five year parental visa costing $5,000 or $10,000 respectively. Critically, the number of visas available are restricted to just 15,000 applicants per annum. Under the government scheme, parents must take out private health insurance in Australia so that they don't cost taxpayers here anything for their health care. But in a blatant grab to buy the migrant vote in key seats right around the country, Labor has now trumped the Coalition's measured scheme with a temporary parent visa of their own. Costing much less than the visa scheme of the Coalition's, Labor will hand out their own brand of these temporary parent visas for a quarter of the cost of government's three-year visa and half the cost of the Coalition's five-year option. But here's the kicker. The government's scheme, remember, is capped at 15,000 visas per annum. Labor's? Well, it's unlimited. It is absolutely uncapped, which means that anyone who applies and pays the greatly reduced rate, well, they're in. Now, we know that right now there are over 100,000 elderly parents currently waiting for long-term entry to Australia. If elected under Labor, nearly all of these 100,000 elderly migrants can be expected to arrive soon on top of all the others that are coming, including the many tens of thousands of temporary but long-term entrants coming each year for work or study. And don't forget either that last year, Australia's net overseas migration, over 240,000 arrivals, was one of the highest in our history and one of the highest in the world. And also today, Labor announced it would lift the minimum wage for skilled migrant workers as well. So let's be very, very frank. It's hard now to avoid the conclusion this announcement is anything other than a shameless bid for votes in key inner city marginals, as well as a very shrewd move to mop up Labor's recent reputational damage with migrants. It's become a political truism in this country that when you change the Prime Minister, you change the country. I don't think people have yet woken up to how far and how fast Australia will change under a shortened government. But immigration is yet another area where we're set for fundamental change should you, the voter, change the government. OK, let's now take a closer look at the leaders today on the hustings. Prime Minister Scott Morrison faced questions about the possibility of a preference deal with Clive Palmer. And the opposition leader refused to sign a union-backed pledge to keep his hands off Adani. Our Sky News reporter Annalise Nielsen is on a plane tonight with the Prime Minister. So she filed this package for us just before she took off. Starting from behind and desperate to get some more points on the board. Oh, come on, come on. 
The Prime Minister was trying to make sure the Coalition doesn't let anything through to the Keeper in Adelaide. Taking up a promise to create 250,000 new small and family businesses with a government-backed equity fund as he hit the hustings in Central Alliance held Mayo. Good on you. Cheers. And then to Boothby with incumbent Nicole Flint, who holds her seat with a slim 2.7% margin. She's confident her support of Peter Dutton in the leadership spill isn't front of mind for voters. Look, I know that Labor and Get Up and the Unions want to keep focusing on this issue and distract voters with this issue, but we have a very clear choice at this election. Union protesters, however, were keen to make it a priority outside her campaign launch. No more justice, no more choice. The Prime Minister wasn't phased as he launched her campaign. A government that does know the detail of its own policies and I frankly know the detail of their policies better than Bill Shorten does. The tougher question, what to do about Clive Palmer? The latest news poll shows his primary vote is well up. 14% in the Queensland seat of Herbert, which would make him kingmaker in deciding that close contest. He's also recorded gains in Deakin in Victoria, Pearce in WA and Lindsay in New South Wales, all potentially crucial preferences to the outcome there. Parties will have discussions uh, before close of nominations and, and the be preference tickets which will be issued next week in the, in the normal course of events. But there's still a long way to go until Election Day. It's hard for the Coalition to cut through in South Australia, a predominantly Labor state. Boothby and Sturt are both marginal seats. And as we saw from the Super Saturday by-elections, Mayo will be a tough fight for the Liberals. The Liberal team here in South Australia is just part of that energy that is transforming this state. Record spending on health and education, um, childcare. The Coalition hoping their campaign produces a poll bounce at the May 18 election. Annalise Nielsen, Sky News in South Australia. Sky News reporter James O'Doherty joins us live now with the opposition leader. James, you've covered the seats of Herbert, Flynn and Dawson with Bill Shorten today. Mr Shorten tried to focus on jobs for North Queensland but couldn't escape questions on his support, or lack of it, for Adani. That's right, Peter. That's because the Adani project is one of the big prospective job opportunities for people in this part of the world, in the heart of Adani territory. Now, three of Labor's candidates for this area, including Zach Beers for the seat of Flynn, with whom Scott, uh, Bill Shorten was appearing in a news conference today, have signed this union-led push from the CFMEU, CFMMEU, to not stand in the way of Adani if it stacks up in terms of the environmental and scientific approvals. Bill Shorten today said that he would not be signing uh, that pledge, although he said that he has no plans to review the environmental approvals for the Adani mine, uh, despite some questions from Labor about how Melissa Price came to approve those, whether there was any uh, pressure from her uh, Queensland colleagues in the coalition. Now, uh, Bill Shorten refused to rule out, though, whether he would review the environmental approvals. Now, he also spoke uh, at a news conference in the seat of Dawson with Labor's candidate Belinda Hassan there. Now, she has previously said that uh, Labor could potentially review these environmental decisions, seemingly at odds with her leader, Bill Shorten. At this uh, media opportunity with Belinda Hassan, some of the journalists there wanted to ask her some questions about her previous stance on the Adani mine and whether or not it conflicted with her leader's stance, but she didn't make herself available for any questions. 
better. I'm just going to ask again, where's the, where is the local candidate? Because she was here, we would have liked to ask her questions, and she's been put in the car and taken away. Why are you guys advocating for her and there's no chance for us to ask her questions? Well, it, it looks I've like there's a bait and switch very... which has happened. Now, Labor makes a point that none of the journalists had asked uh, or flagged they wanted to ask a question of Belinda Hassan. So she left with Bill Shorten fairly quickly after the leaders scheduled media appearance there in the seat of Dawson. Labor pointing out that uh, this candidate will be available for media questions about this and other issues as Bill Shorten continues his campaign in North Queensland tomorrow. I understand that we're going to be spending a lot of time here in Herbert, held by Cathy O'Toole, by just 0.02% after she won this seat at the last election by just 37 votes, Peter. Mm -hmm. You can bet your bottom dollar, James, that those campaign advisers will be working her over tonight to, to practice responses because you'll all go her, or I hope you do tomorrow, on the discrepancy between her position on Adani and uh, the would-be Prime Minister's position there, uh, Bill Shorten's, and, of course, the CFMEU, because depending on the seat you're in and the union backing of the various candidates, we're getting a different response right across the top end, different in Victoria, obviously, and very different in other places like South Australia. Do you know where you're headed tomorrow? Most of the campaign events will be held here in Herbert, as I say, Peter. After that, we are flying out in the afternoon. No word yet, though, on where we're headed. Magical mystery choice, James O'Doherty. Thanks very much for your time. All right, we're starting to get a sense, aren't we, of the seats each major party has its eye on in week two of the campaign, as we're well and truly now underway. Again, a word of caution this early on. I would be careful not to read every seat in the list to date as a strategic hit. But let's have a look at the leaders' movements today with the campaign tracker. And here is what we know. Prime Minister Scott Morrison branched out of the East Coast and arrived in South Australia, where he visited the seat of Mayo, currently held by Centre Alliance's Rebecca Sharkey. Now, the PM announced that under his government, if re-elected, small businesses will have access to a new $100 million fund to help them scale up and grow. The Prime Minister also visited the seat of Boothby, held by the Liberals' Nicole Flint. It's now the most marginal seat in South Australia after the recent redistribution to officially launch her campaign. In terms of Labor movements, as we've just heard, Bill Shorten started the day in the Labor-held marginal seat of Herbert, held by Cathy O'Toole, where he faced tough questions about his position on the Adani coal mine. He then moved to the seat of Flynn, to campaign with the Labor candidate who, in contrast with his boss, has signed the CFMEU's pledge in support of the coal mine. Flynn is a marginal seat held by the LNP's Ken O'Dowd and after promising to boost the minimum wage of skilled overseas workers, the opposition leader then campaigned in the seat of Dawson, currently held by the LNP's George Christensen. All right, let's get into the campaign today, all the other issues as well and some other big headlines with the editor of The Spectator magazine and host of Outsiders, Rowan Dean. How are you, Peter? You well? I am. Excellent. I tell you what, love an election campaign. It's really happening. It's great. Yeah, and look, everyone said this would be a, um, a foregone conclusion. It doesn't feel... I know, I know the arithmetic's tough for the, for the coalition, but it doesn't feel like a foregone conclusion. Not at all. I think quite the opposite. I think uh, a lot of people are finally looking at Scott Morrison and liking what they see uh, for all sorts of reasons. They've never liked Bill Shorten. He's always been trailing 53 opinion polls where he was uh, less popular than the alternatives, including Malcolm Turnbull. Um, and people are actually focusing on do they want this guy who doesn't have any 
grasp of detail, who doesn't understand his own policies. And what we're seeing is the classic situation, Peter, where Labor were so convinced they had this, in the, this election in the bag. So they've gone swanning into it and they've done this kind of uh, devious trick where they think, well, because we're going to win anyway, why put the detail to the policies and, and kind of tie ourselves to specific numbers and, and hamstrung, hamstring ourselves? Why not just say, yeah, we'll do it, we'll fix it up once we're in power, then when we're in power we can do whatever we want. And that gets them out of that old Peter Garrett problem of, uh, oh, we're going to say one thing, but don't worry, we'll do the complete opposite when we get into power. Well, this this, this is why... way they haven't promised anything. They'll just say, oh, yeah, we'll sort it out when we're in power. Well, this is why I wanted to pull in that, into the detail of that uh, temporary parent visa mm. issue. Labor will say, well, we've got temporary parent visas just like the Coalition. Of course, the Coalition will charge you $10,000 for the five-year visa. Labor will charge you $2,500. But most importantly, uh, it's capped 15,000 only visas if the Morrison government's re-elected. Open-ended, you can all come as long as you can pay cut price uh, to get into the country. We know there's 100,000 of these parents on the list. I'm not sure what Labor's going to do about private health insurance and access to social security and all of these things. It's vote-buying. I see this as absolutely vote-buying by Labor. Of course it is, and everything they're doing is vote-buying. You go through one thing after another, uh, and you can see they're targeting, they've gone through their research groups, and we've got to target that group, particularly retirees, because they so completely uh, lost uh, the, the faith of the retirees uh, with the franking credits and the superannuation, so they're desperate to try and cling something back there. But what's if you want a genuine Medi-Scare campaign, this is the genuine Medi-Scare campaign. What they will do to Medicare if they have this uncapped bringing in of parents from overseas, from all around the world, you only have to look at the NHS in Britain and see the oh, yes. disaster. Tell me, yeah. you know more about that well, than anybody. Well, the disaster there. This uh, Medicare is built on the same model as the NHS more or less, and you see in Britain the hospitals are collapsing, queues, no beds, uh, and you have people from all around the world sitting there uh, who, as you said, never paid taxes, never contributed to the national insurance, which is the, the tax they have there to, to, mm -hmm. to supposedly fund the NHS. Uh, you, long lines for everything. The doctors, and there's no morale. The doctors, the whole thing's collapsing. That's the future. It's now regarded as one of the worst health systems in the world. It used to be regarded as one of the best. Uh, and that is what awaits us if Bill Shorten and Labor go ahead with plans like this to just let everybody have more and more access to healthcare paid by a smaller and smaller group of taxpayers. Yeah, and as I said, you know, these people haven't paid taxes in Australia. No. They're not likely to at their older age. Uh, I know the uh, Labor Party likes to point to America as the harbinger of doom for our medical system, but this is a, a very different kettle of fish. And, and look, as I said, vote buying extraordinaire. Hey, another issue that uh, I wanted to raise with you. We saw today revelations about a magistrate in Victoria. I say this coming so close to Easter mm. and the terrible events in Sri Lanka. I think the targeting, there was a, there was a tweet over the weekend from the CFMEU really having a go at Scott Morrison for, for being in the Hillsong Church or whatever his church is, Pentecostal Church, um, really having a, a go at him for, for attending church over the weekend. And I say this in Victoria, we hear today, about a magistrate who wants Bibles removed from courtrooms. Mm. I mean, he regards the oath as antiquated. Uh, there has been changes, I understand, by the new Labor government to the way in which an oath is sworn. But he thinks Bibles are irrelevant to swearing an oath. And more and more, Labor pushing people the way of affirmations. What do you make about all of this sort of very anti-Christian sentiment? Mm. Well, that's exactly what it is. And the uh, the left, 
including particularly the Greens, but also large elements of the Labor Party. The Labor Party used to be, you know, strongly supported by Catholics, working class, uh, uh, Catholic hard workers, blue-collar workers, particularly um, uh, Irish, Scottish, etc., uh, Irish Catholics and Italian. Um, but what you see here is uh, and the left have become incredibly anti-Christian around the world. So we see, for example, in France with the, the tragedy of Notre Dame, uh, Macron couldn't even use the word chrétien, which is Christians in French. He couldn't even say it. He referred to the historic importance, the literary importance, importance of Notre Dame. He could not refer to the Christian importance of it. We see it uh, here, uh, getting rid of the Lord's Prayer, getting rid of the Bible, getting rid of any links to our, the Christian or Judeo-Christian part of our Western civilization. And this is why things like the Ramsey Centre, the study of Western civilization is so important, because you cannot remove Judeo-Christian values from Western civilization. But the left, they just want to push it all to one side. We saw, for example, as well, uh, over the, the horrible Sri Lanka massacre, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, every Democrat tweeted virtually the exact same phrase, our, our thoughts are with, our sentiments go to the Easter worshippers. Well, that doesn't even mean anything. That's like some druids worshipping the sun coming up. They wouldn't say the word Christians. Well, this the is like the, the term Merry Christmas falls out of favour more and more and, and things like seasons greetings yes. are used as, as preference. Hey, now, you've written a terrific column today. You used to be, what, an ad man for Colgate in your Among day. Among others, yes. And now you're not going to use Colgate. <laughs> no, I mean, I hope you use something else in place of I, Colgate. I hope but, I do as well. Don't um, worry, there's plenty of what's choices. what's the story there? Yeah, well, what happened was, uh, and this isn't the story... People can advertise on Sky or not advertise on Sky. They can advertise wherever they want. The purpose of advertising is you advertise somewhere so that you make money because you. Yeah, so get I'm just putting up the tweet there. Colgate so Palmolive Australia this. will no longer advertise on Sky News. Okay, well this is classic virtue signalling. They tried to make Colgate Palmolive using their official account, using the official brand of all Colgate products in Australia, sent a message to the world, deliberately aligning themselves in that tweet with sleeping giants and with a, a character called Oz Hiker. The two uh, sleeping giants is a, is a left, hardcore left-wing campaign whose sole mission is to bring about uh, the destruction of the business models of so-called conservative uh, media outlets like Centre Sky, right. 2GB. Centre right, like us, yep. Exactly. And the way they do this is they, uh, they basically send bombard the marketing directors or the advertising managers of whatever, of any company that advertises on Sky, they bombard them saying they're, this program's racist or sexist or misogynist or whatever. They bombard them. So they are certain... What is basically happening here is Colgate are agreeing with this campaign. This is why I'm so angry. But, but there's not a lot of people campaign. behind the campaign. As That's I understand, right. it's three, four, five sort of trolls of who, who are continually hitting these messages. Yes. Uh, the 22-year-old marketing uh, brains trust in these companies suddenly thinks they're being deluged and it'll uh, hit their exactly. revenues. Exactly. And they and, panic. And they book. And they panic. And they panic. Now, either they know that they are signing up to a hardcore left-wing campaign that is attacking other businesses... Or they don't know, in which case, either way... this is like way... get up, this is like get up, mate. They, they don't want to have the debate with the Conservative That's over right. the policy issue. They want to blast the Conservative out of office and hopefully swing parties of the centre-right closer to the exactly. left. Rather than have a debate, Colgate, you can come on here any time. Any company can. I've invited happy, Sleeping Giants I'm happy on. to have come the debate. Come and have the debate, but they want, to get, they want to attack a business that then leads to people losing their jobs. So you know all the people who work in the background here. They don't care about the politics. They're hard-working people with families 
families, young kids who get internships and so on, they want to attack these people. We had a bit of a response though straight away from Sky News viewers and I'll put some of those up on the screen who said, well sorry Colgate, you don't get my business anymore, I'm going to walk away, you know. And I think this is where people, the silent majority, can't be silent. They can't Absolutely. be silent and people will on not social media and they cannot be silent at the cash register. And people will not support major brands who get into bed with sleeping giants. It's the kiss of marketing death and people should avoid sleeping giants or anything to do with them like the plague. Now I have to declare an interest here. I've just taken a, a gig as an honorary professorial fellow, a bit of a mouthful, at Melbourne University. That's where I did my, my, my law degree many, many, too many years ago. Congratulations. Um, but uh, there's been a bit of a brouhaha today that uh, a bloke like you, and including <laughs> liberal people who look like liberal voters, that could well be me. I might, I might start, I might start in very, very shortly. Um, we're not welcome at Melbourne Uni. That is the line. Now this is the the Melbourne University Union, if I can call it that, the student union, who was giving out information in workshops about tutorials, and not so much uh, university policy. But what's the story? Yeah, so the, the union have said, uh, the, they, they have said basically, let's not have people in tutorials who are white, white males, or look like liberal voters. I mean, talk about stereotyping, uh, because that stops other minority groups getting up and speaking. I mean, I'm sorry, this is such nonsense, this endless grievance industry, victimhood, and it's racist. It's pure out-and-out -out racist racism dividing white people, so white people or males or people who look like a Liberal voter. I mean, this is so sinister. We're getting into Stasi-type uh, totalitarianism here and the students' union, uh, the students, the kids are put forced to pay for this rubbish. The university should be clamping down on it. It's got out of hand. The, the, disrespect for free speech and common values of decency which have gone out the window in our universities. Oh, well, that must be my I got the job, that I'm looking like a Liberal, sounding like a Liberal. Let's see what I say at Melbourne U, but it's a real worry. I'll find out more. I'll come back to you. Thanks very much for your time, Rowan. Thanks, Peter. OK, Talkback panel, they're up next, as well as we'll dig into some of the Get Up campaign material. Stay tuned. You're watching Fredland on Sky News Live. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? Uh, I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Well, week two of the election campaign has seen all parties ramp up their efforts to speak with voters. And I've also seen activist group GetUp ramp up their campaign against the government and only the government. Just last night, we heard from the Attorney-General, Christian Porter, that the group has flown in members from the eastern seaboard to hold launches in his West Australian seat of Pearce. Joining me tonight, as he will, every Tuesday of the campaign to expose some of GetUp's worst tactics and plenty of their untruths, is National Director of Advance Australia, Jared Benedict. Great to have your company again tonight, Jared. I'm going to start off with two things. One, a little video I want to play uh, viewers at home, but also before I do that, a lot of people have come to me and asked for an explanation of where GetUp gets its primary monies from. Uh, there's talk of overseas money, there's talk obviously of money from unions. Can you just explain that in a little bit more detail tonight? Yeah, absolutely, Peter, and um, good evening to your viewers. 
Uh, GetUp's largest single donation was from the CFMEU at $1.12 million, uh, plus $100,000 from the AWU, the Australian Services Union was another fifty. dollars uh, There's lots of those type of donations that GetUp receives. The other part of it is, and this is only a new phenomenon, receiving donations from charities like the Sunrise Project. No one knows where the money comes from for the Sunrise Project, but they passed $495,000 on to get up in uh, November last year. And just explain uh, what Sunrise Climate is. Fund. Just explain what Sunrise is before you talk about the European Climate Fund. What is Sunrise? Uh, Sunrise is a charity that wants to stop the burning of fossil fuels across the world. They're connected to the Clinton Foundation, they're connected to the Pew Trust in America and a whole range of other... Sandler Foundation and a whole range of other groups. They're actually named in WikiLeaks, uh, believe it or not, way back when, because they were trying to hide who their donors were. Uh, this is big money flowing into the likes of GetUp uh, from registered charities in Australia. And we know that GetUp campaigned for many years against foreign donations at the same time taking foreign donations and indeed getting a big lick of money just before the law changed, but now they get it via these other charitable uh, entities. Uh, I understand we, we previewed a little bit of a, a video series, a documentary series that you're putting out. You've got another install uh, installation of, of that this week? Yeah, episode two uh, will trace the... Uh the foreign influence and the foreign donations uh, in GetUp. Uh, it's out Friday. You can go to wakeuptogetup.com. That's wakeuptogetup.com. And uh, instalment two uh, will be out this Friday. And if you haven't seen one, it's about the birth of GetUp and Bill Shorten and the fact that Bill Shorten was an inaugural board member and chipped in $100,000 of union funds to get GetUp started in Australia. OK, let's have a look at some other things today. We've got... Uh... Uh, an ad that GetUp is trying to, you know, pick up donations uh, from supporters to be able to play on primetime television. Now, some people would say, Peter, don't play this ad because it's exactly what GetUp wants. I have to say, I know the seat of Roringa, Tony Abbott's seat, very, very well. Uh, this is the sort of uh, advertisement that will lock in the get-up vote that's already there, that won't change their mind, that will probably never vote uh, for Tony Abbott. But I think ordinary people uh, in that seat of Warringah, everyday people, uh, won't like this ad. They will think it's beyond the pale, uh, particularly when their local member has been a firefighter for two decades and a lifesaver for just over 25 years. Let me pay a little grab of the ad that they want to take to air on networks right around the country. Help! Help! Tony! Someone's drowning! Ah, uh, look, I think you'll find that the science isn't settled on that. What? Do something! Why should we act first? I think I've given you the response you deserve. <laughs> Well, Jared, how will that go down? Oh, I think it's wholly unimpressive. Uh, I think people who are looking at Tony's service history to the electorate of Warringah will be pretty offended by that. Uh, I read some commentary on the weekend of a couple of lifesavers losing their lives, uh, defending and trying to save lives in the surf. It's a serious issue. Uh, people die each year on our beaches, and I think get up trying to make fun of it fun of Tony Abbott, fun of his volunteering, 
uh, will rub the people of Warringah up the wrong way. And you're absolutely right. It comes after the loss of a dad uh, and his son trying to save the lives of a tourist down in Victoria uh, on the Great Ocean coastline down there over the weekend. And uh, it's poor taste, poor timing, and uh, it's poor politics as far as I'm concerned. Just two other things I want to run to right now. Let's have a look at this graphic about private health insurance. GetUp has out there advertising in the social media space. What do you make of that, Jared Benedict? It says the cost of private health insurance is on the up. Well, you, you know if Labor gets into power, this is coming. They have an ideological hatred for private health insurance. GetUp feeds it. It's the lowest increase uh, in some 20-odd years. It's 40% lower than the last increase that Labor put through. There's over 13 million Australians with private health insurance, and I think it's a real shot across the bow. It's a real view of the future under a shortened government with GetUp supporting uh, them as to what it's going to be like. I think uh, these type of ads um, uh, are emotive, they don't tell the truth, uh, and they're based on, a, as I said, an ideological hatred for anything that's private. Private wealth, private health insurance, and I'd make this point. The state health systems will collapse if there is no private health insurance. OK, let's put up this other ad. It's a little bit of an Easter flavour. I know it's Easter Tuesday. Uh, crazy rent, me, shitty wages. This graphic, uh, that's all about how people get squeezed in the middle when they're just the little guy and uh, the big corporates, the big coalition, either side there. Now, the interesting point, though, here, Jared, is under Labor's negative gearing, uh, rents will go up. That's not Peter Credlin saying it. Uh, it's the Real Estate Institute of Australia. I had the president on here last week. We know uh, that when Paul Keating and Bob Hawke were around and tried this crazy policy at the time, they had to pull back. Uh, they had to cancel the policy because it had the same impact in that it lifted rents and devalued homes. Again, this is a lie. Absolutely. And it, the rents will go up anywhere between 9 and 12%. You do not fix housing affordability for young people trying to buy their first home by taking more out of their pocket each week for their rent so that they can save less for their deposit. Uh, it makes no sense, uh, and it's just another ideologically driven campaign that GetUp have that's based on following the leader, and in this case, the leader's the ALP with their negative gearing policy. Right, Jared. people can head to your website to find out more information about the financial backing of GetUp. Thanks again for your time. We'll look forward to your commentary next Tuesday night. Pleasure. Uh, it's your favourite segment of the week, Talk Back Tuesday. So let's bring in the panel. Talk Back Tuesday, big hitters. We'll go through all the issues that you're talking about on the airwaves right around the country. Tonight, I'm joined by host of The Chris Smith Show on 2GB Radio from 12 to 3pm each day, Chris Smith, who joins us live from Darwin. Overnight's host on 3AW from midnight to 5.30am, Tony Moclair, and broadcast legend and radio commentator here with me in Sydney, Mike Jeffries. Gentlemen, thanks very much for your time. Great to have you on the show. Great to have you here in the studio with me. Thank you, Peter. Good to be here. Thanks, Peter. Chris, now I'll start with you. You're sort of up in the northern part of the country. Please tell me that lightning couldn't strike twice and we get this joker Clive Palmer back into the parliament. I cannot believe this. I thought the Australian public would not give him a second chance. I thought that the brainwashing that we'd copped on television 
and in radio. And I thought all that advertising campaign, surely people would understand what he did to those poor families related to Queensland Nickel, not to mention all his, you know, former colleagues, the MPs, who couldn't stand a bar of him, who decided to move from the party, who couldn't stand how he would change his policy positions and he was so controlling and self-promoting. But, no, we've actually... It's been like water torture. He's actually brainwashed 8% of the electorate in some of these marginal seats. He's brainwashed them into thinking that he has still got the basic philosophy that agrees with what their policies are about and what their politics is about. And I cannot believe how far he's ahead, way in front of One Nation, and double, double what he, he showed in 2013. Tell me it's not true, Peter. Well, Coles and Woolies will tell you, you advertise, because advertising works. Uh, he's thrown, some say, $30 million at this bid. He still owes the taxpayer well over $70 million because the taxpayer had to pay the entitlements uh, for his sacked workers. But Tony Moclair, I'm going to put a bit of a graphic up at the moment here now on the screen. Herbert, the seat of Herbert, which centres around Townsville. If uh, Palmer's primary is around 14%, and let's say in the urban areas he's fives and sixes, he's not going to win a seat that I can see in these early polls. And as I said, we're two weeks in. But he could pick up a state seat. And, of course, he's number one on the ticket for the seat of Queensland. Now, when... For the state of Queensland. When I worked in uh, federal politics... He was out of the chamber in the House of Representatives more than he was in it. Again, I mean, surely voters are not going to be bought by this mug and his millions? Well, it would appear by the polling that um, people seem to... Uh, the, the ads are a very small target, if you look at them, and they, they seem uh, to kind of hitch their wagon to uh, broad-brush populism, which you see around the globe at the moment. Um, they don't go into much specific specifics. He doesn't have to. He's not aiming to run the place. But um, uh, every time I've seen the ad, I've thought, OK, they're hot-button topics, he, he uh, keeps them down to about three, and then you look at One Nation and what the six months that they have, I think there's been uh, a lot of confidence lost in that particular party and in Pauline Hanson, you have to say, and uh, it, it's, as you said, it's a golden rule. If you spend enough money, if you just clobber people over the head with $30 million in constant advertising, and I notice the advertising on TV and on radio as well, um, it's pervasive. And uh, after a point, if the message is simple enough and you hear it often enough, it does get through. We know in Ukraine over the last few days they had a comedian who played the president in a TV show pick up 73% of the vote basically yep. a reality program, um, Mike. We also know over in, uh, in the US, part of the early numbers coming through in the primary for Trump was recognition of his time as a TV star. And now we have Clive Palmer. This, to me, is, is a worrying trend, if you can pull it off, that if you throw enough money at a campaign, you can buy a seat in Parliament. Uh, you know, Mike, is it, it just worry you? You've been around a long time, seen a lot of campaigns. Look, I think it really is the world we live in. And Mr Palmer, as the Americans would say, talks a good fight. He hits the right buttons. And whenever we talk about people must have a short attention span, I think, well, they're bombarded with so much information day in and day out, and they have their lives to live, it doesn't really surprise me that he's doing as well as he is. Yes, you can bring up the negatives, but then again, uh, you talk about the comedian who got elected, well, 
a lot of that is obviously one in the eye for the big parties. You know, we're letting you know what we think. You're all a joke anyway, so we're going to vote for the joker. Mm. And I think what's happening with Mr Palmer, it's very much one in the eye for the big parties as well. Chris, isn't the real challenge, though, then, for commentators and media professionals to make sure they get into the details, that people have an informed choice? Um, you know, Mike's right, there's a lot of information thrown at people, but unless you unpack it for them, unless they can follow through some of the issues in their busy lives, uh, they go into the, the polling booth a bit blind. I mean, I, I went through tonight this whole issue of parental visas. Both sides are offering now temporary visas to the parents, elderly parents of migrants. The Libs are capping it at 15000 the, the Labor Party's promise is uncapped, costs half as much to get these visas. Yes, they say they're temporary, but you can roll them on and on. And we know that there's 100,000 of these parents in the queue. Surely, with a bit of detail, people can see this is not what it seems. This is 100,000 in the queue without any real carrot for them. That's 100,000 people who probably become... 300 or even 400,000 people once there's a carrot. And the carrot will be, well, this particular program's uncapped. Maybe we should have an uncapped refugee program as well. What sense does that make? And you've got a situation where they've downed the price to, like, $1,500 and $2,500, as opposed to what the Coalition's doing with $5,000 and $10,000. This will get out of control. And this, because we're talking about... Uh, parents, we're talking about uh, a real strain on the medical system and medical services. And as you say, Peter, what people have to do leading up to this election is don't ignore the detail. Look at the detail. Look at the costing involved in the Labor Party's climate policy. Look at this visa... Um, or fake visa policy, where we have an uncapped situation that will absolutely cost, rate, uh, cost taxpayers plenty. We've got to look at the detail. Don't avoid the detail, people. And when it comes to Clive Palmer, the same thing applies, I think. OK, I want to take a quick break. We'll come straight back to this issue. There's a lot more, including death taxes. If you can believe it, there is a Labor candidate out there with death taxes on the table. Stay tuned. You're watching Fredland on Australia's News Channel. Still with me on the Talkback panel is Mike Jeffries, Tony McClare and Chris Smith. I'll go to you now, Tony. What do you make of this uh, history, very much history, second on the ticket for the Labor Party in the Senate here in New South Wales, once supported, proposed that there be death taxes, uh, so taking money off people when they die from their estates, in order to fund, he says, handouts for young people to buy homes. Crazy stuff. Uh, look, it, it is a strange one. You'd think um, a party of the left, like the ALP and, and the left side of politics, would be doing everything they could to incentivise death rather than to financially penalise it. Because when you die, you reduce your carbon footprint. And essentially what the, what the left side of politics is doing is, is being very successful at that because the more they move to the left, the more they embrace socialism, which has a proven track record of industrial death uh, and removing 100 million people over the course of a century from the planet, thereby, thereby greening it no end. Um, I will make the point, though, um, this bloke has backtracked on those comments and he said, we need to start a conversation about taxation and home ownership in Australia. Well, I'll throw the ball over to him. Let's start talking about taxing unions so that you don't then have the spare cash to give to groups like GetUp. Yeah, taxing unions, that's a big one because people don't understand that unions, a lot of people don't understand that unions are not taxed 
in this country. It's a big issue. But the other big issue, we've been talking to Mike Jeffries in the break, is electric cars. Now, you tell me it's the gift that keeps giving for the Conservative side of politics. They've gone a bit quiet on it in the last few days. Well, I did a little research on this and spoke to a couple of call screeners I know and said, what are people still calling up about? And they have told me the electric car thing won't die. And it's spectacular to me how Mr Shorten, I think, has totally missed the boat with both camps here. One, we have a situation where people who love their cars and they're not going to be told what car to buy by anybody. And the other is the crowd that say, hey, we've got to get with the program, Australia's lagging behind, we need electric cars. But Mr Shorten has made it so very clear he doesn't understand that side of it either. Otherwise, he could have told a much better story. You're absolutely right. Chris Smith, I would be interested in your views whether cars are still burning as an issue. But uh, on the Alan Jones program last weekend, here last week uh, on Sky, um, Norway is often used as the example by the letter of the opposition. Of course, it's a you know, fraction of the size of Australia. And most of their power, well and truly in the 90%, comes from hydro. Very different circumstance here. The, ge the geography is against you. Um, but if there's one thing Australians don't want is a politician in their driveway. That's where it's headed if Labor are elected. Yeah, exactly. And there is a period of time since this was announced where you cannot get the callers off the open line screen because they want to talk about this. They find more holes in this than a massive block of cheddar cheese. Um, can I just make one point about it? You can't reduce our baseload power in this country, which is exactly what we'll do when we're heading for silly, silly targets like 50% renewable energy, etc. You can't reduce our baseload power from coal while at the same time forcing so many people to buy electric cars because we'll need more baseload power. And all the car companies, although they think, well, they'll sell a few electric cars leading up to 2030, they know this kind of target is absolutely ludicrous. And this bloke, Bill Shorten, doesn't understand the detail. He started off telling us we could charge up our electric cars over eight minutes. He doesn't know the detail of his policies, and it's not the only policy he doesn't know the detail of. Well, I think this is the issue. Shorten is short on detail. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Tomorrow night, I'm going to really rip into this whole issue of negative gearing because whilst he's removing the incentives, the tax breaks for mum and dad investors, ordinary people like you at home, he will be giving it to big investors, institutional investors, many of them overseas. And I didn't even pick this up myself until I read some papers over the weekend. So I'll get into that, as I said, tomorrow night. Tony McClare, McClare, Chris Smith and Mike Jeffries, thank you very much for your time tonight, gentlemen. Thank you, Peter. Up next... Andrew Bolt. He'll have his take on a Tuesday of the second week of the federal election. I know everyone, it's hard going, but at least we're not the United States. Their campaign's well underway and the election's not till next year. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.